kid Andrew, you can know what they're going to do to me. Is that going to come up? There we go, thanks. Um, <clears throat> well, just want to step back into the book of Colossians here, just real quick. Because this is a letter we're rejoining as we look at Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And as I outline a passage grammatically, first looking at it, the, you know, as maybe if, if some of you can remember back to grade school of outlining sentences, you know, you look for the subject and your verb and, you know, things that are, are more of dependent clauses aren't that important in things. And... But Paul has a way, as he's introducing this letter to the Colossians, and as we looked last week at his prayer for the Colossians, Paul has a way of getting to where he really wants to get with this. And, and he's leading them somewhere in this first chapter of Colossians. And um, the best way that I thought to picture what he's doing here is if you imagine this being like uh, an archaeological dig, okay? Because the main thing that we came to last week when we looked at our passage was this idea that we have this opportunity, Paul's prayer, is that they would move through a cycle of a spiral of upward spiritual growth, an upward spiral of spiritual growth, which involved knowing God's truth and living by God's truth and bearing tr fruit from God's truth and thereby knowing more of God's truth. And so that idea of knowing and walking with God was like paramount in his prayer for them. So they'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and so walk in the manner of the worthy of the Lord. And then we see that that was based on his prayer that they be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And then he moves into this idea of what God has done for us, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And so Jesus just gets kind of tapped into here at the end of his, him describing his prayer for the Colossians. But what I want you to see is that he's moving into this idea that the person and work of Christ is the foundation of all these things. And I notice that in the rest of Colossians, he uses these things called relative pronouns, which is like when you're, when you're talking about something and then you're like, and then uh, Joe was there. Who, by the way, Joe is the guy who does this over here. You know, that's where, where in, in reading the scriptures, he's saying, um, who was this? You know, and, and if you're just diagramming, it's just like, oh, well, this is just tacked on there. But in Paul's progress through this letter, what he's really doing is he's getting down to the brass tacks of what he wants to communicate to the Colossians. And he just tags this on to the, last, to the end of the passage that we were looking at last week. In whom, speaking of Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he's moving to what is the foundation of his letter, the crux of his letter, the central passage of his letter. And I'm excited to look at it with you this morning as we look at who is baby Jesus. And, and I'll just dive into 
this passage and then we'll pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Here is the foundation of what he's communicating. And I think we can argue today from the scripture, it's the foundation of our very lives. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might ha- be preeminent. And I have that in caps there because that is the central statement of the central verses of this whole letter. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Wow. We need to ask the Lord to help us this morning with this. Father, thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much for life that lives out your truth. Um, Lord, we thank you for hearing from Andrew this morning and the testimony to your truth, the testimony to who you are and how it can change a life and how we are made to bless others with what you've done in our life. Lord, I pray that you would work your truth through this sermon this morning, um, this passage that we're looking at. Lord, these are eternal, eternally significant words that will ring through the halls of heaven for our eternity. And Lord, I pray that we would get... um, albeit a little but an accurate glimpse of Christ this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm very grateful for Andrew sharing this morning, and he wanted me to make sure and let you know that, that he's, in his words, thank you for your help in allowing him to go to Narragate. The, the financial help, the prayer support, it's been great to get updates from Michael and just to know how that has gone on. And um, so he wanted me to communicate that to you as well. Um, I've been looking forward to getting to these verses in time for Christmas. Because for one thing, it's what Christmas is about. You know, there's a danger that we have of missing the Christ of Christmas. I, I think of the story of, of the, the church decorating committee. We have our, our church gussied up for Christmas here. And um, the decorating committee had decided that a sign, a large sign, would be posted on the side of the church, not our decorating committee in this story. This, a large sign would be posted on the side of the church. And they wrote down um, what the sign would say and, 
And uh, one of the parishioners, it was his job to go into town and order the sign. And this was in the day of telegraphing. And so the problem was, is the piece of paper that they had written it down had been lost by the person that was to go into town and order the sign. And so he had to wire really quickly back to the town to find out from the pastor what did the sign supposed to say. And so... Um, the, the Western Union um, officer in the small town went and ran and got the pastor. Have, you know, he's wiring and he needs to know. And so the pastor wrote it out and, and they sent it to uh, town to, to the parishioner for him to go and get the sign ordered. And the telegraph operator, the Western Union operator on, in the town where the parishioner was, got the message and he's looking at it and it says, Unto you a child is born eight feet long, three feet wide. You can understand how that message would get missed and misunderstood and blown out of proportion or, or that it would kind of blow that telegraph operator's mind a little bit. Well, you know, we are going to see a lot of images of the baby Jesus, which is, is, is an amazing thing that God would choose to put himself in that picture. And he did. That was his choice. And we're not downgrading the idea of the baby Jesus. Um, But I want to help you as you move through this Christmas season and as we're exposed again and again to Christ of our culture, I want to give you the idea of what Scripture communicates, who that person is in that picture of the baby Jesus. And so... We're just going to dive right in here. The first idea that's communicated here is that Jesus is God and thus creator of all. All and all things are used so many times through this passage. He's trying to get something across. That he is the pinnacle creator of all things. And there's reasons for that and we're going to get into that. But notice here he says he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the, this means that he's the exact visible representation of the invisible God. You know, the disciples didn't catch this. Uh, even in walking with Jesus, it's so hard for us somehow to comprehend this. You know, he's sitting with his disciples and, and Philip says, uh, is it now that you're going to show us the Father? And Jesus says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews 1.3 says, he is the radiance of the glory and the exact imprint of his nature. John 1, 1-3, which is an excellent parallel passage in the Gospels of what we're talking about here. He says, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Sounds like a pretty pivotal issue if John opens his gospel with those very words. That this man that walked the earth is God, was God always. In the very beginning he was God. And all things were made through him. John 17, 5, Jesus himself says, And now, Father, 
as he's praying to the Lord for us and his disciples, he says, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world even existed, before anything we ever knew existed. He's also called the firstborn of creation. Now we have a tendency to like latch some, some understanding onto there of meaning, okay, well, he must have been born first. So like he was born in some sort of order. What's being attached here is the rights of the firstborn that would have been significant at that time, meaning he would have sovereignty over everyone else. He, it's, it's emphasizing his priority, his sovereignty over creation. You'll see why that's important when we talk about what the Colossians are dealing with at this time when Paul is writing to them. So in being the image of the invisible God, it, the emphasis is on his exact likeness to God the Father and the Holy Spirit. In being the firstborn of all creation, the emphasis is on his distinction from creation. He is exactly like God. He is not the creation, is what they're saying when they say the firstborn of all creation. He has sovereignty and he has authority over it. So it goes on to kind of play out, explain what does this mean? What does it mean that he, was, he is the image of the invisible God? And he explains this, for by him all things were created, explaining what this means. The Gnostic teaching here, if you remember that the, the Colossian church was having to deal with, was how to reconcile a good spirit God and an evil physical world. And a lot of answers come out of our finite minds to deal with that. You guys hear answers all the time of people who are trying to reconcile those two things. So the idea is that if God who is spirit keeps away from matter which is evil, how is it that creation took place? How is it that creation took place from the very beginning? They arrived at this idea that God uh, created, not creation, but he created spirits and then stepped away. Okay? Now, in emanating from himself these spirits, the idea was that they were um, promoting among the Colossian believers was you know, was that these spirits that God first emanated from himself were very, very much like him, probably like 99% spirit and maybe 1% physical. And then they emanated spirits from themselves that were a little bit more spirit, physical, a little bit less spiritual. And those emanated spirits from themselves. And so they had this doctrine in Gnosticism, that the earth took place from all these different levels of spirits that were emanated from each other until you got to a level that was physical and, and detached from the deity enough that they could get their hands dirty and create the world. And so this was the teaching that the Colossian church was being intimidated by. So... The idea here among this teaching is that Jesus is just one of these angelic beings. And they would maybe say, oh, we're not, we don't mean to insult him. He's probably the one that's like really close 
to God. But he's just one of these levels. He's, he just fits into one of these levels of angelic beings. You've probably heard Jesus called a good teacher, very spiritual man, had a lot of good things to say. But stopping very short of who the scripture says that he is. And that's what the Colossian church was dealing with. And this is what they were starting to be intimidated by. And some of the people in the church were starting to be influenced by this. And they were starting to, to influence the church with it. And that is why these verses in the letter to Colossians are so pivotal. And it's so important for us to get a good basis of them this week. Because we're going to draw back off of these truths in the coming weeks as well. But Paul is saying here, Christ is God and he is not what he created. He is not what he created. Um, all right, we'll leave that there. So, he, so when he says he created all things visible and invisible. So in other words, he's not just among these invisible creatures that, ha, that, that you should attribute glory to for having taken part in created the world. No, he created all of these angels. Uh, Paul names off different levels here of spiritual rulers or levels of spiritual um, influence. And that's why he goes into visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And so he's naming off in the spirit world organizational structure and saying Jesus created them all he's responsible for them all that's why he goes there all things were created through him and for him Jesus is not just the reason for the season he's the reason for every season that has ever existed Paul's getting down to the to the brass tacks here if he made it all it's all been made by him, and guess what? It's all been made for him. This is who we're talking about here. This is who we worship. It's all, everything has been made for him, for his purpose. The, this baby Jesus is the Lord of everything. And he is before all things. Everything has, exists, flows from his existence. One of the definitions of God is that he is self-existent. And the simple idea there is that someone else, he can't attribute his existence to someone else. He is self-existent in himself. Now that, you know, so we get into this, like our finite mind is like, all I know is everything has a beginning. Everything had to be born. Everything has to come from somewhere. So our mind goes to where did he come from? We're talking about the infinite. We're talking about the one that doesn't have a beginning, doesn't have an end. And so when we start deriving things just from here without letting his truth tell us who he is, we arrive at stuff like these spirit beings that have to give birth to another spirit being, you know, so that the world can be created. It's just an example of what we as man, men come up with. Revelation twenty two thirteen, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. I am the beginning. I am the end. Everything continues to exist by his sustaining work. 
Again, Hebrews 1.3, a pivotal verse here says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. We could spend a couple Sundays just on this idea here. But we're talking about the baby Jesus. And so we want to get to, again, that pivotal statement of these pivotal verses. So when you dwell on the meaning of Christmas, you got to ask yourself, is, is, it, is it about, you know, getting the house ready? Is, is it just about, you know, putting Jesus in the manger? Okay, I feel, I feel good about you there. You're there. You know, um, maybe, you'll, maybe you'll bring something good into my life if I, you know, honor you, put you in the best space, something like that. It's not that we shouldn't enjoy our Christmas traditions, but we have so much opportunity here to praise our Lord. You know, that idea that it could be Christmas every day. <laughs> you know, to celebrate that here, the one who made the world, the one that everything exists for his purpose, for his glory, came and dwelt among us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And we have even greater of a blessing in that we are his church. Second idea here is Jesus is God and thus in charge of his recreation plan. In charge of his recreation plan. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. There's that central statement of the letter to the Colossians. So the church, we are God's recreation plan. We don't need to go, you know, all the way back to the garden here, but, you know, God created this world. We messed it up by letting sin into this world, by exercising the, the right to choose and we exercise that in a way that put a barrier between us and God, brought curse onto this world. And now we are a part of God's recreation plan. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is what Aaron is talking about in terms of we live out of our nature. And if we don't believe that we are a new creation, we will live by a nature that's dead and gone. But the lie of the enemy is, no, that's, that's who you are. That's what Andrew's getting to here, right? Am I right? Christ is in charge of God's recreation plan in the sense that he is the head of the body, the church. He holds the rights of being the redeemer. D.A. Carson describes it this way. The centrality of Christ in relation to us, his people, is stressed here. His headship points to a close personal and living relationship with us in which he rules over his people in the way that the head of the body exercises influence over its various parts. Headship also refers to our total dependence on him. 
So in other words, there's two ideas being communicated here. The rule of the head ruling the body, his church, and then the idea of total dependence on Christ, just the same way that a body is completely dependent on the head. You never say, hear somebody say, I got bad news, we're going to have to amputate your head. That's pretty much the end. We're completely dependent on having a head. And in the same way, we are completely dependent on Christ. And the point that he's getting to here, well, let me say this first. I love the word in the New Testament that's used for the term church. And it literally means those who have been called out. It's ekklesia. Ek is to be brought out of. Those who have been called out from among the world. What an honor. What an honor to be called out from among those who are on the same creation plan that is now cursed and stricken with sin. To be called out and to be made into a new creation and to be given the ruler of the universe as our head and our chief. Amazing. But even still, Paul is saying this is about him. It's not about us. Because he says here, so moving on, he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. This is how he became the head of the body, the church. He came and he went through the death and resurrection that was required of us so that our accepting Christ as our Savior can be called dying with Christ and living again to a new life from Romans 6, 4. So he was our firstborn, uh, not just firstborn of creation, but now he's the firstborn from the dead of the resurrection, the new recreation plan. And we are able to follow him that in that resurrection. That in everything he might have be preeminent. The everything that's summarizing here is he was, he's the head of the first creation. He's the head of the second creation, the recreation plan. And now in everything, in both of these, he might be preeminent. And that's the idea of, well, he was already preeminent. Yeah, but now he's the head of the first plan. He's the head of the recreation. And now in all of these things, he might be preeminent. This is a huge word, this idea, preeminent. It's meant to be, to be more than outstanding, to stand out, uh, having the highest rank, the highest dignity, the highest importance. You know, we have someone that might, you know, we, we've seen it in the movies and things like that. They'll greet the king or they'll, they'll say, well, your eminence. And that's to say, you know, you are the most important person in this room. Okay, to be preeminent, this, this prefix pre is actually not the English prefix pre. It comes from a Latin term that means even more so, outstandingly. So it's the outstanding eminence. In other words, there's nobody out there with him. For all of time, for everything that happens, for every square inch of this universe, he is the outstanding one 
above everything. Between being the source of creation and the source of salvation, there is no place, no instance, no situation in which Christ is not the supreme Lord who is the originator, the sustainer, the top stockholder, and the rightful recipient of all of the glory. That is what it means in a, just a little snippet of what it means for him that in all things might be preeminent. If the universe was an NFL team, okay? Now I'm going to work football in here for a second. If the universe were an NFL team, he would be the founder the league commissioner, the team owner, the general manager, the coach, the captain, and the star player. And he would have the goal of showing off his glory in everything that happens on that field or in the locker room or in the boardroom. Everything boils down. And that one day, everything will be boiled down to that one issue of him being preeminent. And this is why I really think that when we stand before the Lord, each one of us, it might not be the question that is verbalized, but it's the question that it will boil down to of, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? And every December 25th, we get to focus in a little bit. But guys, it, it, it should just be a celebration moment of, look, look at the, the world is still stopping a little bit to notice, but at the same time grieving. If they can only see what I see. If they can only know this the way I know it. And we only know it just a little slice of who he really is. That's the baby Jesus. When I went on my first missions trip to Albania, um, back in like 1994, I was a college student um, living with a family in this little town called Peshkopi. Um, they were, the, the father of the town kind of took us on a hike uh, up into the the mountain area behind the town. And, and we ran across this man that was sitting on this stool wearing a uniform. He's kind of looked disheveled a little bit, you know, older middle age and, um, and holding an AK-47. And the dad just kind of walked up and was talking to him and, you know, introduced us and everything. And, and, and then he explained, uh, he has a very important job. And the man, you know, was standing there proudly as we walked up. Um, he guards the town's water supply. And, and sure enough, there was like a central place where you could access the spring that supplied the town with its water. But this man with his AK-47 and his uniform, he was very proud to be the one because that uniform said, I represent the town. I represent uh, the sovereign town of Peshkopi, Albania, and I have a very important job. Guys, we represent, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you're a child of the King, and you are His emissary to this world of the one 
who made it all has fixed it. it. It's all been created and purposed for his glory. And one day it's all going to boil down to him. And we have the joy of representing him to our neighbors. And this season, I just want to put this bug in your ear. This season, you know, I understand people are missing Christmas. Missing that meaning. But there's such an open door with your neighbors and with your family. To be bringing his presence into it, his glory. And you know, you have the power of the Holy Spirit working on your behalf that if God wants to do something there, man, step back and watch it happen. And you have the opportunity to represent this God in this season. And everybody's mistaking him for just that little baby in the manger. Man, what an opportunity we have with him as our head. Well, let me share a little bit from my personal experience. I, you know, uh, I was kind of moping around the house this week, um, kind of a grump. And, you know, I've got this passage just weighing down on me and just ruminating on, Lord, how do I communicate this? How do I get this across? Am I even understanding this the way you want me to understand this? Am I seeing this clearly? And all the while, my, you know, I'm like, hey, stop hitting them. You know, just kind of like, just like, you know, with my kids because I'm up here in this, you know, lofty mindset, you know. And I was so grieved by that. And I was, remember I was walking down into the basement. And, and, I, and I think I said these words out loud. I said, Lord, don't you have anything from this passage that can help me now? I think it's a blessing that your pastor works from home. Because <laughs> this stuff has to work there. But that, I asked him that question, do you have anything from this passage that will help me now with my kids? Because it's not fair to them that I'm living up in this. And, and, and that's what he ministered to me with, is that idea of, J.D., you represent the king to your kids. You have the honor of holding forth my name and my glory to these little children that I love so much. And you know, in your boring job, in serving others, for us in serving as elders, as we clean the bathrooms, in greeting your neighbors, you have the opportunity to be the emissary of the king of the universe. And your joy is going to be dependent on recognizing that at that moment. What an awesome thing. So thirdly here, Jesus is God and thus God's mediator of reconciliation. And we're just starting on this idea this week. Uh, Verse 20 is really, after the new year, is going to take us in this idea of God's reconciliation. As um, he talks about we at one point in time were separated from God. 
but have been reconciled to him and, and we have the opportunity to be that for other people. But Jesus is God and thus God's mediator of reconciliation is the idea here. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Again, as I'm outlining a passage, everything in me says, this doesn't belong in the third point because it's explaining the first idea. But he, he steps off this idea that the fullness of God dwells, is pleased to dwell in Christ. And what does it do? What does the fullness of God do? And through him to reconcile. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So he's explaining this idea of why is it that all the, that in everything Christ might be preeminent? Because in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Um, the Gnostic teaching was that the divine essence that was available for us physical people to embrace or to get in touch with or to understand was disseminated among these angelic beings. And yeah, it was easier to manipulate and easier to get a handle on those lower angelic beings that were a little closer to creation, but they didn't have as much of the divine essence in them. So you could kind of see how this idea in Gnosticism of this secret truth, this, this secret knowledge that people wanted to attach themselves to, a lot of this was in how do I, how do I get in touch with these divine um, angelic beings? And I want to get to higher levels of these divine angelic beings to get better in touch with God. And we'll really hit on this if you read ahead in chapter 2, that's why, if, without this understanding, Paul starts talking about angel worship and stuff like that. And he's like, where did that come from? You know, and that's why he hits on that in chapter 2 of Colossians. But this term for fullness of God is their word. It's the Gnostics' word. And it was their definition of the fullness of God is distributed among these angelic beings. So this one has a little bit, and this one has a little bit, and this one has a little bit. So when Paul makes the statement, for in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Again, he's saying he's not just one of these angelic beings. He is God. All of the fullness of God, which we would define as the total quality and quantity of God, was pleased to dwell in Christ. He is again distinguishing him from these angelic beings. We could call them spirit guides. Um, yeah. The fullness of God was thought to reside within all of these emanations, but Paul is saying no. It resides right within the Christ. That baby Jesus in the manger. All the fullness of God dwells within him. Well, why does it say the fullness of God was pleased to dwell? We, we have this saying that there's a difference between a house and a home, right? Um, you know, we have a house right now and we're making it into our home. When we want someone to take pleasure in our home, we say, please, make yourself at home. 
This is not just a house to you. We want this to be your home. Maybe you've got visitors from out of town and you say, make yourself at home. Here's where the food is. Here's where the cereal is. What you're really saying is, please don't wake me in the morning, right? (laughs) But we make that statement, please make yourself at home. And when he's saying all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ, he's saying all the fullness of God made itself right at home. It's where it belonged. It's where it was from the very beginning. It's not just something that God worked out. You know, he didn't just grab this one angelic being and say, hey, you're going to be God. Okay, go save those people. You know, all the fullness of God has been there since the beginning, which wasn't a beginning. I heard one commentator call it a birth that never took place. You know, of him being the firstborn of creation. We, we can't get our minds really around this, except it made itself at home right there in God. So, let's see if I missed something here. Didn't? Sorry. Um, and like I said, the subject here is the fullness of God, and there's a compound verb. It was pleased to dwell... And the fullness of God would, through Christ, reconcile the world to himself. So everything that is God is about is through Christ reconciling the world to himself. That idea of calling some out. We know from scripture that not everyone is going to be saved. And so when he says reconciling the world to himself... He's reaching back into that. What does he mean by, by all things? Reconciling to himself. Actually, he doesn't say the world. Look at that. Reconciling to himself all things. It's, it's things from everywhere. It's the physical world. It's us who are called out. It's those angelic beings that did not choose to rebel against him with Satan. So that's where it's going. So Christ is bringing all of these things back into right relationship with God. To reconcile means to, to turn back to right relationship again. Maybe you've had um, a division between you and someone else before in the past and, and, um, and you've needed to reconcile with them. And it's for both of you to go from turning your backs to turning face to face and being able to say, hey, let's, let's put this aside and let's move forward together in relationship together. That is what the fullness of God is doing through Christ. So the baby Jesus shows up on a mission. And um, that's the mission that we have working along with him. So Paul is warning the Colossian believers of the fact that there's a teaching that is sneaking into their church, that is sliding into the church, that's seeming very intellectual, that's seeming very much like, hey, we've got, you know, we've got these steps by which you can know God better. You know, God's not going to listen to you, but maybe if you pray to this being that's a little bit closer to him, then uh, you can pray to that being and God will listen to that being. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You know, come and pray to St. Thomas. He always takes care of this, that, and other thing. And God will listen to him. It's funny, but as you study world religions, this pops up again and again. 
these mediators between the deity and the worshiper, and they're needed because, oh, you know. But in biblical Christianity, God brings us straight up face to face, being able to come before his throne room with confidence to find grace and help in time of need. How awesome is that? It would be easier, though. We would fit in with the world if we were just worshiping one of the many possibilities of God. It's kind of hard to say, you know, the fact is, this baby Jesus, he's the creator of everything, and to tell you the truth, he deserves all the glory that, of anything that ever happens on this earth. And to have your friends say, come on, man, it's just Christmas. You know, um, if it'd be easier if Christmas was just a phenomenon of a baby's birthday, it somehow got global recognition and pops up every year and just won't go away. In a lot of ways, it would be easier to just fit in in that way. Uh, there's a song that's just been just pounding in my head and the worship team are going to sing it uh, today after the service. Uh, after, as we close here. And the words go like this. It's by 10th Avenue North. It would be easier if you were just a thought in my head. Simply something that I had once read. A belief needing my defense. In other words, it'd be easier, Jesus, if you were dependent on me. It would be easier if you were something that I once knew a hope just to hold on to. But you're holding out your hands. In other words, but you're a real person. And, and the more of your truth that I learn and understand, the more of you I'm able to, to take advantage of and, and know. But at the same time, if, if, I, if I believe the lies... You're someone I miss out on. You're something to miss. And he's in all things that he might be preeminent. This is missing big time when we believe the lies. And I love the chorus. You came to take us back to the start. You came to touch the hardness of our hearts. You gave us truth and the truth is who you are. Paul is telling the Colossian believers, listen, you're throwing the baby Jesus out with the bathwater. It's, it's, it's easy to tinker around. Well, we're just talking about creation. We'll get into that. No, you're talking about the Jesus of creation. You're talking about the one who's the firstborn of all creation. The truth is who he is. And when you tinker with the truth, it's not too long, very soon, you start tinkering with who Jesus is. And it's very, very important that we hold to the truth. I'm just going to have the worship team come up and sing this song for us. And uh, I'll let them close in prayer this morning.